Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Um, again, pretty short intro this week. Uh, there isn't really much to say. Uh, I just hope that everyone's actually enjoying Graceling so far. I know I am. <laughs> I'm kind of getting um, nostalgia over reading it all over. Like, there's a lot of parts that I remember and a lot of parts that I don't. So, it's it's nice to be able to to just go back and reread all of the books that I haven't read in a long time, especially ones I haven't read since I was, you know, like a freshman in high school. It was forever ago. So, um, it's gonna get, like I keep saying, it's gonna get juicier as time goes on. Um, I would say probably with, with this episode, um, these next six chapters, you're gonna find out a lot of different stuff. Um, and the plot's definitely going to thicken, so I hope you can stick around. Uh, whatever it is that you're doing while you're listening, I hope it's going well. If you're eating or showering or I don't know what you're doing. Doing a puzzle, like that's what I do when I listen to podcasts. <laughs> but um, whatever it is, I hope it's going well and I hope you all are doing well. Um, be sure to let me know because I'd love to hear. Um, and I'll see you guys next week with the next six chapters. I think that would be, I think it goes up to part two as the end of this one. So part two will start next week. See you then. Chapter 13. It wasn't the first time he had left her with that feeling. Poe had a way about him. He knew her opinions sometimes before she expressed them, he looked at her from across the table and knew she was angry, and why, or that she'd decided he was handsome. Raffin had told her she wasn't perceptive. Poe was perceptive and talkative. Perhaps that was why they got along so well. She didn't have to explain herself to Poe, and he explained himself to her without her having to ask. She'd never known a person with whom she could communicate so freely, so unused was she to the phenomenon of friendship. She mused about this as the horses carried them west until the hills began to even out and give way to great grassy flatlands, and the pleasure of smooth, hard riding distracted her. Gidden was in good humor, for this was his country. They would visit his estate on their way to one just beyond his. They would sleep in his castle, first on their outward journey and then again on their return. Gidden rode eagerly and fast, and though Katza didn't relish his company, for once she couldn't complain of their pace. It's a bit awkward, isn't it, Ol said, when they stopped at midday to rest, for the king to have asked you to punish your neighbor. It is awkward, Gidden said. Lord Ellis is a good neighbor. I can't imagine what has possessed him to create this trouble with Rhonda. Well, he's protecting his daughters, Ol said. No man can fault him for that. It's Ellis's bad luck that it puts him at odds with the king. Rhonda had made a deal with the Nandarin underlord. The Underlord couldn't attract a wife because his holding was in the south-central region of Nander, directly in the path of Westeran and Estillian raiding parties. It was a dangerous place, especially for a woman, and it was a desolate holding, without even sufficient servants, for the raiders had killed and stolen so many. The Underlord was desperate for a wife, so desperate that he was willing to forego her dowry. King Rhonda had offered to take the trouble to find him a bride, on the condition that her dowry went to Rhonda. Lord Ellis had two daughters of marriageable age, two daughters and two very great dowries. Rhonda had ordered Ellis to choose which daughter he would prefer to send as a bride to Nander. Choose the daughter for who is stronger in spirit, Rhonda had written, for it's not a match for the weak-hearted. Lord Ellis had refused to choose either daughter. Both of my daughters are strong in spirit, he wrote to the king, but I will send neither to the wasteland of Nander. The king has greater power than any. But I do not think he has the power to force an unsuitable marriage for his own convenience. Katza had gasped when Raffin told her what Lord Ellis said in his letter. He was a brave man, as brave as any Rhonda had come up against. Rhonda wanted Gidden to talk to Ellis, and if talk didn't work, he wanted Katza to hurt Ellis in the presence of his daughters, so that one of them would step forward and offer herself to the marriage to protect her father. Rhonda expected them to return to his court with one or the other of the daughters, and her dowry. This is a gruesome task we're asked to perform, Ol said. Even without Ellis being your neighbor, it's gruesome. It is, Gidden said, but I see no way around it. They sat on an outcropping of stone and ate bread and fruit. 
Katza watched the long grass moving around them. The wind pushed it, attacked it, struck it in one place and then another. It rose and fell and rose again. It flowed like water. Is this what the sea's like? Katza asked, and they both turned to her, surprised. Does the sea move the way this grass moves? It is like this, my lady, Ol said, but different. The sea makes rushing noises, and it's gray and cold, but it does move a bit like this. I should like to see the sea, she said. Giddens' eyes on her were incredulous. What? Is it such a strange thing to say? It's a strange thing for you to say. He shook his head. He gathered their bread and fruit, then rose. The leonid fighter is filling her mind with romantic notions. He went up to his horse. She ignored him so that she didn't have to think about his own notions of romance or his suit or his jealousy. She rode hard across the flatlands and imagined she rode across the sea. It was more difficult to ignore the reality of Giddon once they'd reached his castle. The walls were great, gray, and impressive. The servants flowed into the sunny courtyard to greet their lord and bowed to him, and he called them by name and asked after the grain in the storehouses, the castle, the bridge that was being repaired. He was king there, and she could see that he was comfortable with this, and that his servants were happy to see him. Giddon's servants were always attentive to Katza whenever she was at his court. They approached her to ask if she needed anything. They lit a fire for her and brought her water so she could wash. When she walked past them in the hallways, they greeted her. She wasn't treated this way anywhere else, not even in her own home. It occurred to her now that of course Giddon had specifically ordered his servants to treat her like a lady, not to fear her, or if they did fear her, to pretend they didn't. All of this Giddon had done for her. She realized his servants must look upon her as their future mistress, for if all of Rhonda's court knew Giddon's feelings, then surely Giddon's servants had interpreted them as well. She didn't know how to be at Giddon's court now, realizing they all expected something of her she would never give. She thought they'd be relieved to know she wouldn't marry Giddon. They would exhale and smile and prepare cheerfully for whatever kind, harmless lady was his second choice. But perhaps they only hoped for their lord what he hoped for himself. Giddon's hope bewildered her. She couldn't fathom his foolishness to fall in love with her, and she still couldn't entirely believe it to be true. Ol grew increasingly morose about Lord Ellis. It's a cruel task that King has asked us to perform, he said at dinner, in Giddens' private dining room where the three of them ate with a pair of servants to attend to them. I can't remember if he's ever asked us to perform a task so cruel. He has, Giddens said, and we've performed it. And you've never spoken like this before. It just seems... Ol broke off to stare absently at Giddens' walls, covered with rich tapestries in red and gold, it just seems that this is a task the council wouldn't condone. The council would send someone to protect these daughters. From us. Giddon pushed potatoes onto his fork and chewed. He considered Ol's words. We can't do any work for the council, he said, if we don't also follow Rhonda's commands. We're no use to anyone if we're sitting in the dungeons. Yes, Ol said, but still, it doesn't seem right. By the end of the meal, Giddon was as morose as Ol. Katza watched Ol's craggy face and his unhappy eyes. She watched Giddon eating, his knife reflecting the gold and red of the walls as he cut his meat. His voice was low, and he sighed. They both sighed, Ol and Giddon, as they talked and ate. They didn't want to perform the task for Rhonda. As Katza watched them and listened, the fingers of her mind began to open and reach around for some means by which they might thwart Rhonda's instructions. Poe had said it was in her power to refuse Rhonda, and maybe it was in her power, as it was not in Ol's or Giddens, because Rhonda could punish them in ways he couldn't punish her. Could he punish her? He could use his entire army, perhaps, to force her into his dungeons. He could kill her. Not in a fight, but he could poison her one night at dinner. If he thought her a danger or didn't think her useful, he would certainly have her imprisoned or killed. And what if his anger, when she returned to court without Ellis's daughter, inflamed her own? What would happen at court if she stood before Rhonda and felt an anger in her hands and feet she couldn't contain? What would she do then? It didn't matter. When Katza awoke the next morning in her comfortable bed in Giddens' castle, she knew it didn't matter what Rhonda might do to her, or what she might do to Rhonda. If she were forced to injure Lord Ellis today as Rhonda wished, it would set her into a rage. She sensed the rage building, just at the thought of it. Her rage if she hurt Lord Ellis would be no less catastrophic than her rage if she didn't, 
and Rhonda retaliated. She wouldn't do it. She would not torture a man who was only trying to protect his children. She didn't know what would happen because of this, but she knew that today she would hurt no one. She threw back her blankets and thought only of today. Gidden and Ol dragged their feet as they prepared their bags and their horses. Perhaps we'll be able to talk him into an agreement, Gidden said lamely. Huh, was Ol's only response. Ellis's castle was a few short hours' ride distance. When they arrived, a steward showed them into the great library where Ellis sat writing at a desk. The walls were lined with books, some so high they could only be reached by ladders made of fine dark wood that leaned against the shelves. Lord Ellis stood as they entered, his eyes bold and his chin high. He was a small man with a thatch of black hair and small fingers which he spread across the top of his desk. I know why you're here, Gidden, he said. Gidden cleared his throat uncomfortably. We wish to talk with you, Ellis, and with your daughters. I will not bring my daughters into present company, Ellis said, his eyes flicking to Katza. He didn't flinch under her gaze, and he went up another notch in her estimation. Now was the time for her to act. She counted three servants standing rigidly against the walls. Lord Ellis, she said, if you care at all for the safety of your servants, you'll send them from this room. Gidden glanced at her, surprised apparent on his face for this was not their usual mode of operation. Katza. Don't waste my time, Lord Ellis, Katza said. I can remove them myself if you will not. Lord Ellis waved his men to the door. Go, he said to them. Go. Allow no one to enter. See to your duties. Their duties most likely involved removing the Lord's daughters from the grounds immediately, if the daughters were even at home. Lord Ellis struck Katza as the type to have prepared for this. When the door had closed, she held her hand up to silence Gidden. He shot her a look of puzzled irritation, which she ignored. Lord Alice, she said, The king wishes us to talk to you, and talk you into sending one of your daughters to Nander. I imagine we're unlikely to succeed. Alice's face was hard, and still he held her eyes. Correct? Katza nodded. Very well. That failing, Rhonda wishes me to torture you until one of your daughters steps forward and offers herself to the marriage. Ellis's face didn't change. I suspected as much. Gidden's voice was low. Katza, what are you doing? The king, Katza said, and then she felt such a rush of blood to her head that she touched the desk to steady herself. The king is just in some manners. In this matter, he is not. He wishes to bully you, but the king doesn't do his own bullying. He looks to me for that. And I, Katza felt strong suddenly, she pushed away from the desk and stood tall. I won't do what Rhonda says. I won't compel you or your daughters to follow his command. My lord, you may do what you will. The room was silent. Ellis's eyes were big with astonishment and he leaned heavily on the desk now, as if danger had strengthened him before, and its lack now made him weak. Beside Katza, Gidden didn't seem to be breathing, and when she glanced at him, his mouth hung slightly ajar. All stood a little aside his face kind and worried. Well, Lord Ellis said, that's quite a surprise. My lady, I thank you. Indeed, I can't thank you enough. Katza didn't think a person should thank her for not causing pain. Causing joy was worthy of thanks, and causing pain worthy of disgust. Causing neither was neither. It was nothing, and nothing didn't warrant thanks. You don't owe me gratitude, she said and I fear this won't put an end to your troubles with Rhonda. Katza, it was all. Are you certain this is what you want? What will Rhonda do to you? Gidden asked. Whatever he does, all said, will support you. No, Katza said, you won't support me. I must be on my own in this. Rhonda must believe that you and Gidden tried to force me to follow his order but couldn't. She wondered if she should injure them to make it more convincing. But we don't want to perform this task any more than you do, Gidden said. It's our talk that propelled you to make this choice. We can't stand by and let you. Katza spoke deliberately. If he knows you disobeyed him, he'll imprison you or kill you. He can't hurt me in the ways that he can hurt you. I don't think his entire guard could capture me. And if they did, at least I don't have a holding that depends on me, as you do, Gidden. I don't have a wife, as you do, Ol. Gidden's face was dark. 
He opened his mouth to speak, but Katza cut through his words. You two are no use if you're in prison. Raffin needs you. Wherever I may be, I will need you. Giddon tried to speak. I won't. She would make him see this. She would cut through his obtuseness and make him see this. She slammed her hand on the desk so hard that papers cascaded onto the floor. I'll kill the king, she said. I will kill the king unless you both agree not to support me. This is my rebellion, and mine alone. And if you don't agree, I swear to you on my grace, I will murder the king. She didn't know if she would do it, but she knew she seemed wild enough for them to believe she would. She turned to Ol. Say you agree? Ol cleared his throat. It'll be as you say, my lady. She faced Gidden. And you? I don't like it, he said. Gidden, I'll do as you say, he said. His eyes on the floor and his face red and gloomy. Katza turned to Ellis. Lord Ellis, if Rhonda learns that Captain Ole or Lord Gidden agreed to this willingly, I'll know that you spoke. I will kill you. I'll kill your daughters. Do you understand? I understand, my lady, Ellis said. And again, I thank you. Something caught in her throat at this second thanks, when she'd threatened him so brutally. When you're a monster, she thought you're thanked and praised for not behaving like a monster. She would like to restrain from cruelty and receive no admiration for it. And now in this room, with only ourselves present, she said, we'll work out the details of what we'll claim happened here today. They ate dinner in Giddens' dining room, in Giddens' castle, just as they had the night before. Giddens had given her permission to cut his neck with her knife, and Ole had allowed her to bruise his cheekbone. She would have done it without their permission, for she knew Rhonda would expect evidence of a scuffle. But Ole and Giddens had seen the wisdom of it. Or perhaps they'd guessed she would do it whether or not they agreed. They'd stood still, and bravely. She hadn't enjoyed the task, but she'd caused them as little pain as her skill allowed. There was not much conversation at dinner. Katza broke bread, chewed, and swallowed. She stared at the fork and knife in her hands. She stared at her silver goblet. The Astillan Lord, she said. The men's eyes jumped up from their plates. The Lord who took more lumber from Rhonda than he should have. You remember him? They nodded. I didn't hurt him, she said. That is, I, I knocked him unconscious, but I didn't hurt him. She put her knife and fork down and looked from Giddon to Ole. I couldn't. He more than paid for his crime in gold. I couldn't hurt him. They watched her for a moment. Giddon's eyes dropped to his plate. Ole cleared his throat. Perhaps the council work has put us in touch with our better natures, he said. Katza picked up her knife and fork, cut into her mutton, and thought about that. She knew her nature. She would recognize it if she came face to face with it. It would be a blue-eyed, green-eyed monster, wolf-like and snarling. A vicious beast that struck out at friends in uncontrollable anger. A killer that offered itself as the vessel of the king's fury. But then it was a strange monster. For beneath its exterior, it was frightened and sickened by its own violence. It chastised itself for its savagery and sometimes it had no heart for violence and rebelled against it utterly. A monster that refused sometimes to behave like a monster. When a monster stopped behaving like one, did it stop being a monster? Did it become something else? Perhaps she wouldn't recognize her own nature after all. There were too many questions and too few answers at this dinner table in Giddens' castle. She would like to be traveling with Raffin or Poe rather than Ole and Giddens. They would have answers of one kind or another. She must guard against using her grace in anger. This was where her nature's struggle lay. After dinner, she went to Giddens' archery range, hoping the thunk of arrows into a target would calm her mind. There, he found her. She had wanted to be by herself, but when Giddens stepped out of the shadows, tall and quiet, she wished they were in a great hall with hundreds of people. A party, even. She in a dress and horrible shoes. A dance. Any place other than alone with Giddon where no one would stumble upon them and no one would interrupt. They're shooting arrows at a target in the dark, Giddon said. She lowered her bow. She supposed this was one of his criticisms. Yeah, she said, for she could think of no other response. Are you as good a shot in the dark as you are in the light? Yes, she said, and he smiled, which made her nervous. 
If he was going to be pleasant, then she feared where this was heading. She would much prefer him to be arrogant and critical and unpleasant, if they must be alone together. There's nothing you cannot do, Katza. Don't be absurd. But he seemed determined not to argue. He smiled again and leaned against the wooden railing that separated her lane from the others. What do you think will happen at Rhonda's court tomorrow? He asked. Truly, I don't know, Katza said. Rhonda will be very angry. I don't like that you're protecting me from his anger, Katza. I don't like it at all. I'm sorry, Kidden, as I'm sorry for the cut on your neck. Should we return to the castle? She lifted the strap of the quiver over her head and set it on the ground. He watched her, quietly, and a small panic began to stir in her chest. You should let me protect you, he said. You can't protect me from the king. It would be fatal to you and a waste of your energies. Let's go back to the castle. Marry me, he said. And our marriage will protect you. Well then, he had said it, as Poe had predicted, and it hit her like one of Poe's punches to the stomach. She didn't know where to look, if she couldn't stand still. She put her hand to her head, she put it to the railing. She willed herself to think. Our marriage wouldn't protect me, she said. Rhonda wouldn't pardon me simply because I married. But he would be more lenient, Giddon said. Our engagement would offer him an alternative. It would be dangerous for him to try to punish you, and he knows that. If we say we're to be married, then he can send us away from court. He can send us here, and he'll be out of your reach, and you out of his. And there will be some pretense of good feeling between you. And she would be married, and to Giddon. She would be his wife, the lady of his house. She'd be charged with entertaining his wretched guests, expecting to hire and dismiss his servants based on their skills with a pastry, or some such nonsense. Expected to bear him children and stay at home to love them. She would go to his bed at night, Giddens' bed, and lie with a man who considered a scratch to her face an affront to his person. A man who thought himself her protector. Her protector when she could outduel him if she had used a toothpick as a sword. She breathed it away, breathed away the fury. He was a friend and loyal to the council. She wouldn't speak what she thought. She would speak what Raffin had told her to speak. Giddon, she said. Surely you've heard I don't intend to marry. But would you refuse a suitable proposal? And you must admit it seems a solution to your problem with the king. Giddon. He stood before her, his face even, his eyes warm, so confident. He didn't imagine she could refuse him. And perhaps that was forgivable, for perhaps no other woman would. Giddon. You need a wife who will give you children. I've never wished children. You must marry a woman who wishes babies. You're not an unnatural woman, Katza. You can fight as other women can't, but you're not so different from other women. You'll want babies, I'm certain of it. She hadn't expected to have such an immediate opportunity to practice containing her temper, for he deserved a thumping to knock his certainty out of his head and onto the ground where it belonged. I can't marry you, Giddon. It's nothing to do with you, it's only to do with me. I won't marry, not anyone, and I won't bear any man children. He stared at her then, and his face changed. She knew that look on Giddon's face, the sarcastic curl of his lip and the glint in his eye. He was beginning to hear her. I don't think you've considered what you're saying, Katza. Do you expect ever to receive a more attractive proposal? It's nothing to do with you, Giddon. It's only to do with me. Do you imagine there are others who would form an interest in a lady killer? Giddon, you're hoping the Leonid will ask for your hand. He pointed at her, his face mocking. You prefer him, for he's a prince and I'm only a lord. Katza threw her arms in the air. Giddon, of all the preposterous- He won't ask you, Giddon said. And if he did, you'd be a fool to accept. He's about as trustworthy as Mergen. Giddon, I assure you, nor is he honorable, Giddon said. A man who fights you as he does is no better than an opportunist and no worse than a thug. She froze. She stared at him and didn't even see his finger jabbing in the air, his puffed-up face. Instead, she saw Poe sitting on the floor of the practice room using the exact words Giddon had just used, before Giddon had used them. Giddon, have you spoken those words to Poe? 
Katza, I've never even had a conversation with him when you weren't present. What about to anyone else? Have you spoken those words to anyone else? Of course not. If you think I waste my time, are you certain? Yes, I'm certain. What does it matter? If he asked me, I wouldn't be afraid to tell him what I think. She stared at Giddon, disbelieving, defenseless against the realization that trickled into her mind and clicked into place. She put her hand to her throat. She couldn't catch her breath. She asked the question she felt she had to ask and cringed against the answer she knew she would receive. Have you had those thoughts before? Had you thought those things while you were in his presence? That I don't trust him? That he is an opportunist and a thug? I think of it every time I look at him. Giddon was practically spitting, but Cassa didn't see. She bent her knees and set her bow on the ground, slowly, deliberately. She stood and turned away from him. She walked one step at a time. She breathed in and breathed out and stared straight ahead. You're afraid I'll cause him offense, Giddon yelled after her. Your precious Leonid Prince. And perhaps I'll tell him my opinion. Perhaps I'll leave more quickly if I encourage him. She didn't listen. She didn't hear. For there was too much noise inside her head. He had known Giddon's thoughts. And he had known her own. She knew he had. When she'd been angry. When she'd thought highly of him. Other times, too. There must be other times, though her head screamed too much for her to think of them. She had thought him a fighter. Just a fighter. And in her foolishness, she had thought him perceptive. Had even admired him for his perceptiveness. She. Admire a mind reader. She had trusted him. She had trusted him. And she should not have. He had misrepresented himself. Misrepresented his grace. And that was the same as if he'd lied. Chapter 14 She burst into Raffin's workrooms and he looked up from his work, startled. Where is he? She demanded. And then she stopped in her tracks because he was there, right there, sitting at the edge of Raffin's table, his jaw purple and his sleeves rolled up. There's something I have to tell you, Katza, he said. You're a mind reader, she said. You're a mind reader and you lied to me. Raffin swore shortly and jumped up. He ran to the door behind her and pushed it closed. Poe's face flushed, but he held her gaze. I'm not a mind reader, he said. And I'm not a fool, she yelled. So stop lying to me. Tell me, what have you learned? What thoughts of mine have you stolen? I'm not a mind reader, he said. I sense people. And what is that supposed to mean? It's people's thoughts that you sense. No, Katza, listen. I sense people. Think of it as my night vision, Katza, or the eyes on the back of my head you've accused me of having. I sense people when they're near me, thinking and feeling and moving around. Their bodies, their physical energy. It's only... He swallowed. It's only when they're thinking about me that I also sense their thoughts. And that's not mind reading. She yelled it so loudly that he flinched. But still he held her gaze. All right. It does involve some mind reading, but I can't do what you think I can do. You lied to me, she said. I trusted you. Raffin's soft voice broke through her distress. Let him explain, Katza. She turned to Raffin, incredulous, flabbergasted that he should know the truth and still take his side. She whirled back on Poe, who still dared to hold her eyes as if he'd done nothing wrong. Nothing completely and absolutely wrong. Please, Katza, Poe said. Please hear me. I can't sit and listen in to whatever thoughts I want. I don't know what you think of Raffin, or what Raffin thinks of Bon, or whether Ole enjoys his dinner. You can be behind the door running in circles and thinking about how much you hate Rhonda, and all I'll know is that you're running in circles, until your thoughts turn to me. Only then do I know what you're feeling. This is what it felt like to be betrayed by a friend. No, by a traitor pretending to be a friend. Such a wonderful friend he'd seemed. So sympathetic, so understanding. And no wonder. If he'd always known her thoughts, always known her feelings. The perfect pretense of friendship. No, he said. No, I have lied, Katza. But my friendship has not been a pretense. 
I've always been your true friend. Even now he was reading her mind. Stop it, she spat out. Stop. How dare you? You traitor, imposter, you... She couldn't find words strong enough. But his eyes dropped from hers now, miserably, and she saw that he felt her full meaning. She was cruelly glad his grace communicated to him what she couldn't verbalize. He slumped against the table, his face contorted with unhappiness. His voice, when he spoke, toneless. Only two people have known this is my grace. My mother and my grandfather. And now Raffin and you. My father doesn't know, nor my brothers. My mother and my grandfather forbade me to tell anyone the moment I revealed it to them as a child. Well, she would take care of that problem. For Giddon was right, though he couldn't have realized why. Poe was not to be trusted. People must know, and she would tell everyone. If you do, Poe said, you'll take away any freedom I have. You'll ruin my life. She looked at him then, but his image blurred behind tears that swelled into her eyes. She must leave. She must leave this room because she wanted to hit him, as she had sworn she never would do. She wanted to cause him pain for taking a place in her heart that she wouldn't have given him if she'd known the truth. You lied to me, she said. She turned and ran from the room. Helda took her damp eyes and her silence in stride. I hope no one's ill, my lady, she said. She sat beside Katz's bath and worked soap through the knots in Katz's hair. No one's ill. Then something has upset you, Helda said. It'll be one of your young men. One of her young men. One of her friends. Her list of friends was dwindling, from few to fewer. I've disobeyed the king, she said. He'll be angry with me. Yes, Helda said. But that doesn't account for the pain in your eyes. That'll be the doing of one of your men. Katza said nothing. Everyone in this castle was a mind reader. Everyone could see through her and she saw nothing. If the king is angry with you, Helda said, and if you're having trouble with one of your young men, then we'll make you especially beautiful for the evening. You'll wear your red dress. Katza almost laughed at that bit of Helda's logic, but the laugh got caught in her throat. She would leave the court after this night for she didn't want to be here any longer with her uncle's fury, Giddens' sarcastic, hurt pride, and most of all, Poe's betrayal. Later, when Katza was dressed and Helda grappled with her wet hair before the fire, there was a knock at her entrance. Katza's heart flew into her throat, for it would be a steward, summoning her to her uncle, or even worse, Poe come to read her mind and hurt her again with his explanations and his excuses. But when Helda went to the door, she came back with Raffin. He is not the one I expected, Helda said. She folded her hands across her stomach and clucked. Katza pressed her fingers to her temples. I have to speak to him alone, Helda. She left. Raffin sat on her bed and curled his legs up as he had done when he was a child. As they both had done so many times, sitting together on her bed, talking and laughing. He didn't laugh now, and he didn't talk. He only sat, all arms and legs, and looked at her in her chair by the fire his face kind and dear and open with worry. That dress suits you, Kat, he said. Your eyes are very bright. Helda imagines that a dress will solve all my problems, Katza said. Your problems have multiplied since you last left the court. I spoke to Giddon. Giddon. His very name made her tired. Yeah. He told me what happened with Lord Ellis. Honestly, Katza, it's quite serious, isn't it? What will you do? I don't know. I haven't decided. Honestly, Katza, why do you keep saying that? I suppose you think I should have tortured the fellow for doing nothing wrong? Of course not. You did right. Of course you did right. And the king won't control me anymore. I will not be his animal anymore. Cat, he shifted inside. He looked at her closely. I can see you've made up your mind. And you know I'll do anything in my power to stop his hand. I'm on your side in anything to do with Rhonda, always. It's just... It's just that... She knew. It was just that Rhonda paid little heed to his son, the medicine maker. There was very little in Raffin's power to do while his father lived. I'm worried for you, Cat, he said. 
That's all. We all are. Gidden was quite desperate. Gidden, she sighed. He proposed marriage to me. Great hills, before or after you saw Ellis? After? She gestured impatiently. Gidden thinks marriage is the solution to all my problems. Huh, well how did it go? How did it go? She felt like laughing, though there was no humor in it. It began badly and progressed to worse, she said, and ended with my coming to the realization that Poe is a mind reader and a liar. Raffin considered her for a moment. He started to speak, then stopped. His eyes were very gentle. Dear Katza, he finally said, you've had a rough few days, what with Rhonda and Gidden and Poe, and Poe the roughest, though all the danger might lie with Rhonda. Poe the wound she would remove if she could choose one to remove. Rhonda could never hurt her as Poe had. They sat quietly. The fire crackled beside her. The fire was a luxury. There was a barely a chill to the air, but Helda had wanted her hair to dry more quickly, so they'd set the great logs burning. Her hair fell now in curls around her shoulders. She pushed it behind her ears and tied it into a knot. His grace had been a secret since he was a child cat. Here they came, then, the explanations and the rationalizations. She looked away from him and braced herself. His mother knew he'd only be used as a tool if the truth came out. Imagine the uses of a child who can sense reactions to the things he says, or who knows what someone's doing on the other side of a wall. Imagine his uses when his father is the king. His mother knew he wouldn't be able to relate with people or form friendships because no one would trust him. No one would want anything to do with him. Think about it, Cat. Think about what that would be like. She looked up at him then, her eyes on fire, and his face softened. What a thing for me to say. Of course you don't need to imagine it. No, for it was her reality. She hadn't had the luxury of hiding her grace. We can't blame him for not telling us sooner, Raffin said. To be honest, I'm touched that he told us at all. He told me just after you left. He has some ideas about the kidnapping cat. Yeah, as he must have ideas about a great many things he was in no position to know anything about. A mind reader could never be short on ideas. What are they? Why don't you let him tell you about it? I don't crave the company of a mind reader. He's leaving tomorrow, Cat. She stared at him. What do you mean he's leaving? He's leaving the court, Raffin said, for good. He's going to Sunder and then Monsey, possibly. He hasn't worked out the details. Her eyes swam with tears. She seemed unable to control the strange water that flowed into her eyes. She stared at her hands and one tear plopped into her palm. I think I'll send him, Raffin said, to tell you about it. He climbed from the bed and came to her. He bent down and kissed her forehead. Dear Katza, he said, and then he left the room. She stared at the checked pattern of her marble floor and wondered how she could feel so desolate that her eyes filled with tears. She couldn't remember crying, not once in her life. Not until this fool Leonid had come to her court and lied to her and then announced he was leaving. He hovered just inside the doorway. He seemed unsure whether to come closer or keep his distance. She didn't know what she wanted either. She only knew she wanted to remain calm and not look at him and not think any thoughts for him to steal. She stood, crossed into her dining room, went to the window and looked out. The courtyard was empty and yellow in the light of the lowering sun. She felt him moving into the entrance behind her. Forgive me, Katza, he said. I beg you to forgive me. Well, that was easily answered. She didn't. The trees in Rhonda's gardens were still green, and some of the flowers still in bloom, but soon the leaves would turn and fall. The gardeners would come with their great rakes and scrape the leaves from the marble floor and carry them away in wheelbarrows. She didn't know where they carried them. To the vegetable gardens, she guessed, or to the fields. They were industrious, the gardeners. She didn't forgive him. She heard him move a step closer. How did you know, he asked, if you would tell me? She rested her forehead on the glass pane. And why don't you use your grace to find the answer to that? He paused. I could, he said, possibly if you were thinking about it specifically, but you're not, 
and I can't wander around inside you and retrieve any information I want. Any more than I can stop my grace from showing me things I don't want. She didn't answer. Katza, all I know right now is that you're angry, furious from the top of your head to your toes, and that I've hurt you, and that you don't forgive me or trust me. That's all I know at this moment, and my grace only confirms what I see with my own eyes. She sighed sharply and spoke into the window pane. Gidden told me he didn't trust you, and when he told me, he used the same words you'd used before. The same words exactly. And she waved her hand in the air. There were other hints, but Giddens' words made it clear. He was closer now, leaning against the table most likely with his hands in his pockets and his eyes on her back. She focused on the view outside. Two ladies crossed the courtyard below her on each other's arms. The curls of their hair sat gathered at the tops of their heads and bobbed up and down. I haven't been very careful with you, he said. Careful to hide it. I'd go so far as to say I've been careless at times. He paused and his voice was quiet, as if he was talking down to his boots. It's because I wanted you to know. And that did not absolve him. He had taken her thoughts without telling her, and he had wanted to tell her. And that didn't begin to absolve him. I couldn't tell you, Katza, not possibly, he said. And she swung around to face him. Stop! Stop that! Stop responding to my thoughts! I won't hide it from you, Katza. I won't hide it anymore. He wasn't leaning against the table, hands in pockets. He was standing, clutching his hair. His face, she wouldn't look at it. She turned away, turned back to the window. I'm not going to hide it from you anymore, Katza, he said again. Please, let me explain it. It's not as bad as you think. It's easy for you to say, she said. You're not the one whose thoughts are not your own. Almost all of your thoughts are your own, he said. My grace only shows me how you stand in relation to me. Where you are nearby physically, and what you're doing, and any thoughts or feelings or instincts you have regarding me. I suppose it's meant to be a kind of self-preservation, he finished lamely. Anyway, it's why I can fight you. I sense the movement of your body without seeing it, and more to the point, I feel the energy of your intentions toward me. I know every move you intend to make against me before you make it. She almost couldn't breathe at that extraordinary statement. She wondered vaguely if this was how it felt to her victims, to be kicked in the chest. I know when someone wants to hurt me and how, he said. I know if a person looks on me kindly or if he trusts me. I know if a person doesn't like me. I know when someone intends to deceive me. As you've deceived me, she said, about being a mind reader. He continued doggedly. Yes, that's true. But all you've told me about your struggles with Rhonda, Katza, I needed to hear from your mouth. All you've told me about Raffin or Gidden. When I met you in Mergen's courtyard, he said, do you remember? When I met you, I didn't know why you were there. I couldn't look into your mind to know you were in the process of rescuing my grandfather from Mergen's dungeons. I wasn't even sure my grandfather was in the dungeons, for I hadn't gotten close enough to him to sense his physical presence yet. Nor had I spoken with Mergen. I'd learned nothing yet from Mergen's lies. I didn't know you'd attacked every guard in the castle. All I knew for sure was that you didn't know who I was, and you didn't know whether to trust me. But you didn't want to kill me, because I was Leonid, and possibly because of something to do with some other Leonid, though I couldn't be certain who or how he factored into it. And also that you... I don't know how to explain it, but you felt trustworthy to me. That's it, that's all I knew. It was on the basis of that information that I decided to trust you. It must be convenient, she said bitterly, to know if another person's trustworthy. We wouldn't be here now if I had that capability. I'm sorry, he said. I can't tell you how sorry. I've hated not telling you. It's rankled me every day since we became friends. We are not friends. She whispered it into the glass of the window. If you are not my friend, then I have none. Friends don't lie, she said. Friends try to understand, he said. How could I have become your friend without lying? How much have I risked to tell you and Raffin the truth? What would you have done differently, Katza, if this were your grace and your secret? Hidden yourself in a hole and dared to burden no one with your grievous friendship? I will have friends, Katza. I will have a life, even though I carry this burden. 
He stopped for a moment, his voice rough and choked, and Katza fought against his distress, fought to keep it from touching her. She found that she was gripping the window frame very hard. You would have me friendless, Katza, he finished. You would have my grace control every aspect of my life and shut me off from every happiness. She didn't want to hear these words, words that called to her sympathy, to her understanding. She who had hurt so many with her own grace and been reviled because of it. She who still struggled to keep her grace from mastering her and who, like him, had never asked for the power it gave her. Yes, he said. I didn't ask for this. I would turn it off for you if I could. Rage, then. Rage again, because she couldn't even feel sympathy without him knowing it. This was madness. She couldn't comprehend the madness of the situation. How did his mother relate to him? Or his grandfather? How could anyone? She took a breath and tried to consider it piece by piece. You're fighting, she said, her eyes on the darkening courtyard. You expect me to believe your fighting isn't graced. I'm an exceptional natural fighter, he said. All of my brothers are. The royal family is well known for Leonid for hand fighting. But my grace, it's an enormous advantage in a fight to anticipate every move your opponent makes against you. Combine that with my immediate sense of your body, a sense that goes beyond sight. You can understand why no one's ever beaten me, save you. She thought about that and found she couldn't believe it. But you're too good. You must have a fighting grace as well. You couldn't fight me so well if you didn't. Katza, he said, think about it. You are five times the fighter I am. When we fight, you're holding back. Don't tell me you aren't, because I know you are. And I'm not holding back, not a bit. And you can do anything you want to me, and I can't hurt you. It hurts when you strike me. It hurts you for only an instant. And besides, if I hit you, it's only because you've let me. Because you're too busy wrenching my arm out of its socket to care that I'm hitting you in the stomach. How long do you think it would take you to kill me, or break my bones, if you decided to? If she truly decided to? He was right. If her purpose were to hurt him, to break his arm or his neck, she didn't think it would take her very long. When we fight, he said, you go to great pains to win without hurting me. That you usually can is a mark of your phenomenal skill. I've never hurt you once, and believe me, I've tried. It's a front, she said. The fighting's only a front. Yes. My mother seized on it the instant it became clear that I shared the skill of my brothers, and that my grace magnified that skill. Why didn't you know I would strike you, she said, in Mergen's courtyard. I did know, he said, but only in the last instant, and I didn't react quickly enough. Until that first strike, I didn't realize your speed. I'd never encountered the like of it before. The mortar was cracking in the frame of the window. She pulled out a small chunk and rolled it between her fingers. Does your grace make mistakes? Or are you always right? He breathed. It almost sounded like a laugh. It's not always exact, and it's always changing. I'm still growing into it. My sense of the physical is pretty reliable, as long as I'm not in an enormous crowd. I know where people are and what they're doing, but what they feel toward me, there's never been a time when I thought someone was lying and they weren't. Or a time when I thought someone intended to hit me and they didn't. But there are times when I'm not sure. When I have a sense of something, but I'm not sure. Other people's feelings can be very complicated and difficult to understand. She hadn't thought of that. That a person might be difficult to understand, even to a mind reader. I'm more sure of things now than I used to be, he said. When I was a child, I was rarely sure. These enormous waves of energy and feeling and thought were always crashing into me, and most of the time I was drowning in them. For one thing, it's taken me a long time to learn to distinguish between thoughts that matter and thoughts that don't. Thoughts that are just thoughts, fleeting, and thoughts that carry some kind of relevant intent. I've gotten much better at that, but my grace still gives me things I've no idea what to do with. It sounded ridiculous to her, thoroughly ridiculous, and she had thought her own grace overwhelming. Alongside his, it seemed quite straightforward. It's hard to get a handle on it sometimes, he said. My grace. She turned sideways for a moment. Did you say that because I thought it? No, I said it because I thought it. She turned back to the window. I thought it too, she said, or something like that.
Well, he said, I imagine it's a feeling you would understand. She sighed again. There were things about this she could understand, though she didn't want to. How close do you have to be to someone physically for your grace to sense them? It differs, and it changed over time. What do you mean? If it's someone I know well, he said, my range is broad. For strangers, I need to be closer. I knew when you neared the castle today, I, I knew when you burst into the courtyard and leapt out of your saddle, and I felt your anger strong and clear as you flew up to Raffin's room. My range for you is broader than most. It was darker outside now than it was in her dining room. She saw him suddenly in the reflection of the window. He was leaning back against the table as she had pictured him before. His face, his shoulders, his arms sagged. Everything about him sagged. He was unhappy. He was looking down at his feet, but as she watched him, he raised his eyes and met hers in the glass. She felt the tears again suddenly, and she grasped at something to say. Do you sense the presence of animals and plants? Rocks and dirt? I'm leaving, he said. Tomorrow. Do you know when an animal's near? Will you turn around, he said, so I can see you while we speak. Can you read my mind more easily when I'm facing you? No. I would just like to see you, Katza. That's all. His voice was soft and sorry. He was sorry about all of this. Sorry for his grace. His grace that wasn't his fault and that would have driven her away had he told her of it at the beginning. She turned to face him. I didn't used to sense animals and plants or landscapes, but lately that's been changing. Sometimes I'll get a fuzzy sense of something that isn't human. If something moves, I might sense it. It's erratic. Katza watched his face. I'm going to Sunder, he said. Katza folded her arms across her stomach and said nothing. When Mergen questioned me after your rescue, it became obvious to me the object you'd taken was my grandfather. It became just as obvious Mergen had been keeping him for someone else. But I couldn't tell who, not without asking questions that wouldn't give away what I knew. She listened vaguely. She was tired. Overwhelmed by too many things in the present to focus on the details of the kidnapping. I'm beginning to think it's something to do with Monsi, he said. We've ruled out the Midlands, Wester, Nander, Estill, Sunder. And you'll remember I've been to most of those courts. I know I was not lied to except in Sunder. Leonid's not responsible, I'm sure of it. She had lost her fury somewhere as they talked. She didn't feel it anymore. She wished she did because she preferred it to the emptiness that had settled in its place. She was sorry for everything that had changed now with Bo. Sorry to see it all go. Katza, he said. I need you to listen to me. She blinked and worked her mind back to the words he had spoken. King Lack of Monsi is a kind man, she said. He would have no reason. He might, he said, though I don't know what it is. Something is not right. Some impressions I got from Mergen that I dismissed at the time, perhaps I dismissed them in error. My father's sister, Queen Ashen, she wouldn't behave as you told me. She's so stoical. She's strong. She wouldn't have hysterics and lock herself and her child away from her husband, I swear to you, if you knew her. He stopped, his brow furrowed. He kicked the floor. I have a feeling Monsi has something to do with it. I don't know if it's my grace or just instinct. Anyway, I'm going back to Sunder to see what I can learn of it. Grandfather's doing better, but for his own sake, I want him to stay hidden until I get to the bottom of this. That was it, then. He was going to Sunder to get to the bottom of it, and it was good that he was going, for she didn't want him in her head. But neither did she want him to go. And he must know that since she thought it. And now, did he know that she knew that he knew, since she had thought that, too? It was absurd. Impossible. Being with him was impossible. But still, she didn't want him to go. I hoped you would come with me, he said, and she stared at him open-mouthed. We'd make a good team. I don't even know where I'm going for sure, but I'd hoped you would consider coming. If you're still my friend. She couldn't think what to say. Doesn't your grace tell you if I'm your friend? Do you know yourself? She tried to think, but there was nothing in her mind. She knew only that she was numb and sad and completely without any clarity of feeling. I can't know your feelings, he said. 
if you don't know them yourself. He looked at the door suddenly, and then there was a knock, and a steward burst in without waiting for Katz's response. At the sight of his pale, tight face, it all came flooding back to her. Rhonda. Rhonda wanted to see her, most likely wanted to kill her. Before this confusion with Poe, she had disobeyed Rhonda. The king orders you to come before him at once, my lady, the steward said. Forgive me, my lady, he says that if you don't, he'll send his entire guard to fetch you. Very well, Katza said. Tell him I'll go to him immediately. Thank you. The steward turned and scampered away. Katza scowled after him. His entire guard. What does he think they could do to me? I should have told the steward to send them just for the amusement of it. She looked around the room. I wonder if I should take a knife. Poe watched her with narrowed eyes. What have you done? What is this about? I've disobeyed him. He sent me to torture some poor innocent lord and I decided I wouldn't. Do you think I should take a knife? She walked across to her weapons room. He followed her. To do what? What do you think is going to happen at this meeting? I don't know. Poe, if he angers me, I fear I'll want to kill him. And what if he threatens me and gives me no choice? She threw herself into a chair and dropped her head down on the council table. How could she go to Rhonda now, of all times, when there was a whirlwind in her head? She would lose herself at the sound of his voice. She would do something dreadful. Poe slid into the chair next to her and sat sideways, facing her. Katza, he said. Listen to me. You are the most powerful person I've ever met. You can do whatever you want. Whatever you want in the world. No one can make you do anything, and your uncle cannot touch you. The instant you walk into his presence, you have all the power. If you wish not to hurt him, Katza, then you only have to choose not to. But what am I supposed to do? You'll figure it out, Poe said. You only have to go in knowing what you won't do. You won't hurt him. You won't let him hurt you. You'll figure out the rest as you go along. She sighed into the table. She didn't think much of this plan. It's the only possible plan, Katza. You have the power to do whatever you want. She sat up and turned to him. You keep saying that, but it's not true, she said. I don't have the power to stop you from sensing my thoughts. He raised his eyebrows. You could kill me. I couldn't, she said. For you would know I meant to kill you and you'd escape me. You'd stay far away from me always. But I wouldn't. You would, she said, if I wished to kill you. I wouldn't. On that senseless note, she threw her arms into the air. Enough, enough of this. She stood up from the table and marched out of her apartments to answer the king's call. Chapter 15 Her first thought when she entered the throne room was to wish she'd brought a knife after all. Her second thought was to wish that Poe's sense of bodies had extended to this room so that he might have warned her of what was waiting for her here, and she might have known not to come. A long blue carpet led from the doors to Rhonda's throne. The throne was raised high on a platform of white marble. Rhonda sat high on his throne, blue robes and bright blue eyes, his face hard, his smile frozen. An archer to either side of him, an arrow notched in each bow and trained as she entered the room on her forehead, on the place just above her blue and green eyes. Two more archers, one in each far corner, also with arrows notched. The king's guard lined the carpet on either side, three men deep, swords drawn and held at their sides. Rhonda usually kept a tenth this many guards in his throne room. Impressive. It was an impressive battalion Rhonda had arranged in preparation for her appearance. But as Katza took stock of the room, it occurred to her that Burn or Drowden or Thickpen would have done better. It was good he was an unwarring king, for Rhonda was not so clever when it came to assembling battalions. This one he'd assembled all wrong. Too few archers and too many of these clumsy, armored, lumbering men who would trip all over each other if they tried to attack her. Tall, broad men who could shield her easily from an arrow's flight. And armed, all of them armed with swords, and each with a dagger in his opposite belt, swords and daggers she might as well be carrying on her own person. So easily could she snatch them from their owners. And the king himself raised high on a platform, a long blue carpet leading straight to him like a pathway to direct the flight of her blade. If a fight erupted in his room, it would be a massacre. Katza stepped forward, her eyes and ears finely tuned to the archers. Rhonda's archers were good, but they were not graced. 
Katza spared a moment to dryly pity the guards at her back if this encounter came down to arrow dodging. And then, when she'd progressed about halfway to the throne, her uncle called out. Stop there. I have no wish for your closer company, Katza. Her name sounded like steam hissing down the carpet when Rhonda spoke it. You return to court today with no woman. No dowry. My underlord and my captain injured by your hand. What do you have to say for yourself? When a battalion of soldiers didn't trouble her, why should one voice rile her so? She forced herself to hold his contemptuous eyes. I didn't agree with your order, my king. Can I possibly have heard you correctly? You didn't agree with my order? No, Lord King. Rhonda sat back, his smile twisted tighter now. Charming, he said. Charming, truly. Tell me, Katza, what precisely possessed you with the notion that you are in a position to consider the king's orders? To think about them? To form opinions regarding them? Have I ever asked you to share your thoughts on anything? No, Lord King. Have I ever encouraged you to bestow upon us your sage advice? No, Lord King. Do you imagine it is your wit, your stunning intellect, that warrants your position in this court? And here was where Rhonda was clever. This was how he'd kept her a caged animal for so long. He knew the words to make her feel stupid and brutish and turn her into a dog. And if she must be a dog, at least she would no longer be in this man's cage. She would be her own. She would possess her own viciousness and she would do what she liked with it. Even now, she felt her arms and legs beginning to thrill with readiness. She narrowed her eyes at the king. She couldn't keep the challenge out of her voice. And what exactly is the purpose of all these men, uncle? Rhonda smiled blandly. These men will attack if you make the slightest move. And at the end of this interview, they'll accompany you to my dungeons. And do you imagine I'll go willingly to your dungeons? I don't care if you go willingly or not. That's because you think these men could force me to go against my will. Katza, of course we all have the highest regard for your skill, but even you have no chance against 200 guards and my best archers. The end of this conversation will see you either in my dungeons or dead. Katza saw and heard everything in the room. The king and his archers, the arrows notched and aimed, the guards ready with their swords, her arms in red sleeves, her feet beneath red skirts. The room was still completely still, accepting the breath of men around her and the tingling she felt inside her. She held her hands at her sides, away from her body, so that everyone could see them. She breathed around a thing that she recognized now as hatred. She hated this king. Her body was alive with it. Uncle, she said. Let me explain what will happen the instant one of your men makes a move toward me. Let's say, for instance, one of your archers lets an arrow fly. You've not come to many of my practices, uncle. You haven't seen me dodge arrows, but your archers have. If one of your archers releases an arrow, I'll drop to the floor. The arrow will doubtless hit one of your guards. The sword and the dagger of that guard will be in my hands before anyone in the room has time to realize what's happened. A fight will break out with the guards, but only seven or eight of them can surround me at once, uncle, and seven or eight are nothing on me. As I kill the guards, I'll take their daggers and begin throwing them into the hearts of your archers, who of course will have no sighting on me once the brawl with the guards has broken out. I'll get out of the room alive, uncle. But most of the rest of you will be dead. Of course, this is only what will happen if I wait for one of your men to make a move. I could move first. I could attack a guard, steal his dagger, and hurl it into your chest this instant. Rhonda's mouth was fixed into a sneer, but under this he had begun to tremble. A threat of death given and received, and Katza felt it ringing in her fingertips. And she saw that she could do it now. She could kill him right now. The disdain in his eyes would disappear, and his sneer would slide away. Her fingers itched, for she could do it now with the snatch of a dagger. And then what? A small voice inside herself whispered, and Katza caught her breath, stricken. And then what? A bloodbath, one she'd be lucky to escape. Raffin would become king, and his first inheritance would be the task of killing the murderer of his father. A charge he couldn't avoid if he meant to rule justly as the king of the Midlands, and a charge that would break his heart and make her an enemy and a stranger. And Poe would hear of it as he was leaving. He'd hear that she'd lost control and killed her uncle, that she'd caused her own exile and broken Raffin's spirit. 
He would return to Leonid and watch from his balcony as the sun dropped behind the sea, and he'd shake his head in the orange light and wonder why she'd allowed this to happen when she held so much power in her hands. Where is your faith in your power? The voice whispered now. You don't have to shed blood. And Katza saw what she was doing here in this throne room. She saw Rhonda pale, gripping the arms of his throne so hard it seemed he might break them. In a moment, he would motion to his archers to strike, out of fear, out of the terror of waiting for her to make the first move. Tears came to her eyes. Mercy was more frightening than murder because it was harder, and Rhonda didn't deserve it. And even though she wanted what the voice wanted, she didn't think she had the courage for it. Poe thinks you have the courage, the voice said fiercely. Pretend that you believe he's right. Believe him for just a moment. Pretend. Her fingers were screaming, but maybe she could pretend long enough to get out of this room. Katza raised burning eyes to the king. Her voice shook. I'm leaving the court, she said. Don't try to stop me. I promise you'll regret it if you do. Forget about me once I'm gone, for I won't consent to live like a tracked animal. I am no longer yours to command. His eyes were wide and his mouth open. She turned and rushed down the long carpet, her ears tuned to the silence, readying her to spin around at the first hint of a bowstring or a sword. As she passed through her uncle's great door, she felt the weight of hundreds of astonished eyes on her back, and none of them knew she had been only a breath, a twitch, away from changing her mind.